0: From The Cut and Gimlet Media, this is The Cut on Tuesdays. I'm your host, Molly Fisher. I have now worn sandals to work three days running, which I think means it's real. Spring is here. The good part, as opposed to the cold, wet part. Actual spring. A friend of mine said that this is the time of year she associates with a particular feeling. The feeling of being single, and it's, you know, May
1: 31st, it's just nice enough to go out, everyone's excited, it's late, you're at home, you just want to go out and flirt and get laid. And the feeling of putting on some music and getting dressed and just heading to the bar knowing that, like, what you want is to, like, take somebody home and then doing it That satisfaction is so sweet and particular. You're going hunting, you're going, you're seeking it out, and it's so pleasurable. Each individual one of those steps, like, (laughs) it's like, it's so fun. (laughs) And you know, what happens afterwards can be great or not so great, but the energy before
0: the actual interaction
1: is just so special.
0: The writer Dana Evans gave this annual experience a name. The horny time. According to Dana, the horny time begins with the first day of good weather that actually sticks around and continues for approximately four weeks or until the humidity really kicks in. It's the period when everyone's finally wearing fewer clothes. Everyone's remembering that they have bodies and that their bodies want things. I use the expression like,
1: well, no, that's gonna sound so disgusting, <laughs> Never but, but just like I want that in my mouth, or like I want to put my mouth on that for like anything that <laughs> turns me on. But like, I don't mean it in an oral sex way. I just mean like I want, I want to put it as close to my face as possible. Like I want to, I want to consume it in all of my senses. That's what it is to be horny to me. It's like put it on my face, cover
0: myself with it. Like <laughs> that's what it is. This week, we're embracing horny season 2019 and taking a look at what's got us horned up at present. The things that we're furtively Googling, the things that are catching our eyes. Because sources of horniness are almost always fleeting. They're specific and often unexpected and possibly embarrassing looking back. They respect no dignity and obey no reason. And if you ask me to identify the celebrity who perhaps best captures the current horny zeitgeist, That's the horny zeitgeist, not necessarily the beautiful or erotic or seductive zeitgeist. I think I would point to Adam Driver.
2: When I broke up with my girlfriend from college, Mm -hmm. so sad. I lost 30 pounds and I couldn't move or talk or get my dick hard. But it also made me go, hey, who am I and what do I want? And I was like, boom, I know who I am. I wanted to switch majors and buy a circular saw and I promised myself that I'd follow my gut. No matter what. And I do what makes me feel good. What makes you feel good?
0: I have said before and will say again that identifying Adam Driver as a sex symbol is perhaps Lena Dunham's greatest feat of artistic vision, which I don't even mean as an insult. Hannah Horvath may or may not have been the voice of a generation, but she definitely had the taste of a generation when it came to deep-voiced and goofy-faced men. So I assembled a few of Adam Driver's biggest fans to explain his distinctive appeal.
3: I would say Adam Driver is like the size of my apartment.
0: That's Hunter Harris, a writer at Vulture, who recently tweeted, I have something Adam can drive. He looks like a weenie
4: music nerd, like the guy who runs, like, your, like, high school radio station Uh or something, like, got air pumped into him, (laughs) and then, like, he was suddenly, like, bigger than a Camry.
0: And that's cut writer Madeline Agler, Who has previously said that she wants Adam Driver and his Burn This co star, Carrie Russell, to quote, bang me into the center of the earth?
3: I think if you had like three Danny DeVito's Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm. stacked upon each other, like that would be his height. He reminds me of like a table, like like a, like a dining room table, yeah. full of food, and I'm just like, yes, sir. Yeah, just like a thank laden you so buffet. much. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, that's the visual descriptor of Adam Driver. He is a buffet of a man. <laughs> yes.
4: His wife though is like I think normal size. Who is his wife? I think her name's Lauren. You, She's you also- know her name is Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> And I want to be clear, I have nothing but respect for their relationship, (laughs) and I'm so happy for them. But, like, I would love him to strap me into a baby Bjorn on his chest and take me on walks. And I feel like I would just be tiny, like a little Mm -hmm, bird. mm -hmm. Like, people would barely even see me. (laughs) Just, like, your little limbs flailing in front of Adam Driver. I'm not, like, a tiny woman. I'm 5'9". It's rare that I feel dainty personally, but I think that, like, when he held me, I would just be like, oh, my God, I'm impossibly small. Like, this must be what hamsters feel like all the time, (laughs) cradled in the enormous hands of someone who loves them.
0: (laughs) Adam Driver's wife is, in fact, named Joanne, but that's neither here nor there. They met at Juilliard, and she is normal-sized. The thought of being
4: held in his arms is so relaxing to me I think it would be, like, a sensory
0: deprivation chamber. Like a coffin that you want to be in? A flesh coffin.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And it's also not like he's, like, super toned or buff. He's Mm -hmm. just, like, large, like, has a large (laughs) stomach. Just a massive, massive man. Yeah, yeah. And not not in a way that you'd expect. Not like the, you know, Zac Efron, Dwayne Johnson sort of tone, muscular thing. It's like, no, he is just, like— a large tree Yeah, that you, I mean, I think that's, like, that's a line that people say in movies, like, oh, I want to climb, like, a tree, but, like, actually, I would accept that challenge. Mm -hmm. He has the body of someone who, like,
4: lifts enormous rocks.
3: Yeah. And, like, that's it. Yeah. Like, the body of a man who prepares and eats a full (laughs) chicken every day. That's the kind of body he has, yeah. and that's what I like. Yeah, in also, Adam Driver, <laughs> just the
4: phrasing of that super makes it sound like he's going out and like killing a chicken. Like it doesn't
3: make it sound like he's. Is just there another way? <laughs> There's like not a version of this story where he just like goes to Whole Foods. No, like that's not what's going on. He's here. Like a rotisserie not chicken.
2: chicken. <laughs> I love this.
0: Adam Driver, via his rep, politely declined to join us for this conversation. But really, that's fine. There's no shortage of other horny icons in 2019. This is a phenomenon that's larger even than large man Adam Driver. What have you noticed about the way people talk about being horny online today? There's just so
3: much thirst online, which I don't know. I feel like because I spent so much time on Tumblr when I was like in high school that that's just sort of how I experience the internet or Uh just like the things that i like because that's so the culture that like to be enthusiastic about something is just like to acknowledge everything about it including its hotness uh-huh part of it too i think is that a lot of the people being so horny on the internet are women mm-hmm. and Culturally, historically, we've not been allowed to express these desires, emotions in this way. Also, because if you're a guy online being super horny, people are like, What? <laughs> like,
5: Please, no,
4: sir. Yeah. We've, ha- we've seen that. We've seen exactly. that. Exactly. We've had enough out. of it. actually. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the time, time is enough. up. <laughs> <laughs> There's just not a lot of novelty left at this point in men talking about being horny for women. But as soon as you look beyond that stereotypical straight male version of desire, beyond all the cliches of tits and ass, you start to find a new world of possibilities with different horny experiences and different horny triggers.
6: The uh, number one thing this summer is large foreheads. Definitely helps if they're like slightly receding. I think it's just something about like correlation with brain size. Probably not, probably I just like them, but that's how I get to it. Yeah, a large, broad, assertive forehead. So I started going to a nudist camp and there's this one dude walking by and I was like, ah, that is, you know, the hottest guy here, the only guy I would sleep with. And then he walked by again a few hours later And the difference is he was no longer wearing his cowboy hat. And I was like, oh, God, I would never, you know what I mean? Like, totally not my type. But then a few hours after that, he had put the cowboy back on. And remember, he's not wearing any other clothes completely naked. And um, he walks by again wearing the cowboy hat. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I would definitely hit And it was at that point that I realized, like, I have a really weird, specific thing where a cowboy hat on anyone will just make them ten times hotter. Man, woman, non-binary person, fat, skinny, it does not matter. The cowboy hat does it for me. So I was at work
3: the other day, and I had a Topo Chico, which is a glass bottle of carbonated water,
1: and I was asking around for a bottle opener,
3: and one of my co grabbed it and swiftly
6: just used his wedding ring to pop the bottle open and I have I was inexplicably aroused aggressively
3: My first celebrity crush that made me horny is from a movie for, like, preteen girls, and it's called Gold Diggers, The Secret of Bear Mountain. It stars a young Christina Ricci and Anna Chlumsky. They're both dressed incredibly, like, late 90s, so we're talking bowl cuts and flannels, and
1: it's gay as all hell. Okay, there was Backstreet's Back, and there was, like, Quit Playing Games With My Heart, okay? And on both of those songs, Nick Carter's voice would do this thing where it got a little grainy and he sounded a bit like a sort of like an old baby. It was like, eh. I don't, I can't even do it, but it was high. It was amazing. Falsetto made me horny.
6: So I'm pretty pregnant. I'm almost 36 weeks pregnant in the last stretch here. But when I'm pregnant, I'm horny like a teenager. Like, some women get really hungry and talk a lot about food, but, like, the horniness is something else. Like, that feels like a real appetite. My husband will, like, walk into the room after going on a run or something, and it's just like... mm, Like, my brain just blanks out and, like, pure appetite.
3: Come From Away is a musical about a plane that was grounded in Newfoundland on 9-11. Which, not horny.
7: None of those words are horny. Uh, (laughs) But I was sitting in the show and the woman who plays the pilot has this just banging voice and she just does this growl thing with her voice and I was like, this is uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortably horny at the Canadian 9-11 musical.
0: Hearing people talk about their personal horny triggers made me think of the Instagram account Personals. It's a repository of super specific desires in the form of online personal ads. Each one is a window into a particular person's tastes, written out in detail, and tossed into the vastness of the Internet. A photo editor named Kelly Rakowski started personals two years ago, and these days she gets around 1,000 submissions a month. She originally got the idea when she was doing research for Herstory, the lesbian history Instagram account she runs.
5: I came across these amazing personal ads written by lesbians in the issues of On Our Backs magazine. Yeah, what was On Our (laughs) Backs? It's a lesbian erotica magazine. The issues I found were from the 80s and 90s. They're super sexy, but also really funny.
0: She couldn't get enough of the way these women described who they were and what they wanted.
5: Beautiful Boston Scorpio, dark, good-looking marshmallow butch with unpredictable mean streak, yearning for luscious femme who's not afraid to show she likes it. It's been a long time since someone clawed my back, and I miss it. I'm 33, an ex-hippie turned jock slash construction worker, very strong and sweet.
0: Come on, honey, right. This was a pre-internet world, and for all kinds of reasons— finding a luscious femme to claw your back was a lot harder than it is now. Other feminist and lesbian magazines were pushing back against the ways women had always been objectified. But that didn't leave much space for women to have fun objectifying one another. So there was that kind of disapproval to deal with. But of course, there was also the disapproval of the mainstream world, which meant that if you were outside the mainstream, if you were queer, you had to find a new vocabulary to get what you wanted.
5: There's all these different words you would say to describe, like, if that person was gay or lesbian and to find out where the club was that was safe or Mm. what kind of sex you're into, what type of masculine, feminine person you're into. You know, there's like this history of these code words, and they're just like embracing that
0: tradition and taking it off in a new way. Kelly wanted to translate the spirit of those ads into a new online space for queer people to meet each other. It got its start as an Instagram account, and now she's developing it into an app. But instead of all the selfies you see on most dating sites and apps, personals is all words. Words like this.
5: Styrian vampire lesbo looking for her Viking angel. Dreaming of a beer-drinking bosomy Barbarian metal goddess. I'm an angry record store employee and a cat owner. No hippies, no art students.
0: Under headings like hobby store meet cute and horny perimenopausal divorcee, there are posts from Le Creuset dog moms and fluid Trekkies seeking barefoot whiskey drinkers or long-haired architects for sweaty topless yard work, middle school makeouts, and monogamous choking only. Horse thief from lonesome dove looking for some more yeehaw reads one. I'll pop the pimples on your back and rim your butthole if you scratch my back and remind me to do my taxes reads another. That last one went up just a few weeks ago right on the brink of the horny season. And I hope whoever posted it is having a good spring. Coming up after the break, why someone on the internet wants Taylor Swift to run them over with a tank and throw the body in a wood chipper? Welcome back to The Cut on Tuesdays. On today's episode, the cut is horny, and here to talk about what that means are editor in chief Stella Bugby and writer Allison P. Davis.
7: Allison has a big picture of Rick Rubin right above her desk. Yeah. Do, you
0: do. His beard is so long, and it, that just like really turns
3: me on. Just thinking about like maybe getting like a mouthful of hair. As oh. I, I don't. I don't. I don't claim to understand the attraction. What do you think his
0: beard smells like? Oof, cedar and maybe like last a week's soup a little bit. Oh, God. This, to me, is a perfect case study in horniness. Allison's love of Rick Rubin's beard. It's not about what is conventionally attractive or aesthetically pleasing. As often as not, it's something that leaves you thinking, why? Why the Canadian 9-11 musical? Why the cowboy hat on the man wearing only a cowboy hat? Why the beard that probably smells like old soup?
7: I just think that the horniness thing is you let yourself be attracted to something you might not
0: otherwise let yeah. yourself be attracted to. Yeah. And it's like yeah. also a kind of resourcefulness because I feel like it's like looking at something that maybe is not obviously appealing or conventionally attractive mm. and being mm. like, you know, actually, I can do something with this. Like, I can see potential here. <laughs> and that's true. They're also like very ephemeral,
3: right? Like, you're not... I mean, my horniness for recruitment has lasted a long time, which is weird. But for the most part, I feel like these cycles, you know, we move on to the next thing pretty quickly. You
7: can be like, you're like, oh, God, give it to me more, more, more. And then they do like one thing or they show up with one in one bad outfit, you like, <laughs> game over. Yeah, <laughs>
5: never mind. Right? Yeah. Like Chris
3: Pine, there was a moment we were all horny for him because he was wearing those weird like linen ensembles. And I then don't he think went we, were we were all horny far. for him. I think okay. we were interested. I might have <laughs> been horny for him. but then <laughs> he, he was went,
0: dressed like Diane
3: Keaton, <laughs> but orange. <Yes. laughs> oh my God. But then he went too far with it. Okay. And I was like, now it's gone.
7: Well, similarly, like you can be like totally, somebody's totally counted out and then they do like one thing. Yeah. And you're like,
0: ooh. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. true. Allison is, in fact, at work on a book-length exploration of what it means to be a horny woman, which I am delighted to announce here on this podcast. Personally, I have spent a lot of time over the last several years enjoying Allison's writing on horniness. It's a beat she's really owned. And over the years, Allison and I have had plenty of opportunities to debate the finer points of all this. For example, whenever you objectify men, you always raise the question, why is this okay? When the same post about a woman might be gross. Well, men still have all the power. Yeah. So
7: it's just funnier. It's not fun when people who have the power make the jokes. Yeah. And they're not funny. Right. So I don't know. I, I think men, it still feels like subversive to objectify men in a way that feels disgusting when you do it to a woman. So I tend to think of it as like a fun way for women to just express their sexuality, period, Yeah. right? So it's less even about objectifying the guy. In fact, the guy isn't even really that important. It's really just like an opportunity to be like, I'm into sex still. (laughs) Yeah. fun. I'm feeling feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And like, guess what? You have to listen to it.
0: But even if you buy the argument that it's okay to objectify the people on top, and I think generally I do, it's still an argument that only gets you so far. Sometimes you're too angry to make jokes about your own relative lack of power, too angry to feel like talking about sex at all.
7: I would say that after the after Trump was elected, like even leading up to that yeah. whole election, so like beginning of twenty sixteen until maybe like about mid twenty eighteen, so yeah. about a two year the period. long the long
0: twenty sixteen yeah. was a deeply unhorny time. It
7: was just impossible yeah. to get it up and you know, just, it was just a time of absolute, like, chaos, I think, internally. Yeah. It was hard to have fun at all.
0: It's not like things have gotten better since then. In fact, in plenty of ways, things have probably gotten worse. But somehow, it's like there's been a shift in atmospheric pressure. Horniness is emerging from hibernation
7: even like people's willingness to be horny on twitter it just sort of happened it's not like people were like and now we can do no. it again they no, were no, just no. Like, it's like it's yeah just organic and people were tired and sick of sort of repressing all these things that it's have just been, been a there, flowering just,
0: yeah. yeah the bud breaking through the soil for spring the bud is breaking through but the soil that nurtured the bud was all fucked up and now the flower is weird I do like the sense of nihilism that's like running through the horniness right now. It makes it a lot darker.
7: It's just coming from a place of absolute despair. (laughs) It's like, there's so much bad stuff, but like, I guess we'll just be horny.
3: Right. Instead of just saying, like, oh, I'm horny for it, it's like, I want XYZ to like spit in my mouth while
0: running me over with a truck. Like, it's gotten so. Yeah. Timothy Shallow, like, crush me under your (laughs) foot. He could (laughs) not. He could not. There's another writer at The Cut, Gabriella Paella, who's a close observer of internet behaviors. And earlier this year, she noticed something strange. It really caught her attention during the Golden Globes back in January. Her Twitter feed was overrun with people tweeting things like, excuse me while I lie down in the street and wait for Sandra Oh to run me over with a car.
2: People were evidently aching for celebrities to inflict grievous bodily harm. I want Rami Malek to run me over with a bus, run me over, back up, and run me over again, ma'am. Prayer hand emoji. That's Ariana Grande. This is with Taylor Swift. It's, wish she'd run me over with a tank and throw what's left in a wood chipper, XX. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was just these, like, super violent, fatalistic fantasies about people's favorite celebs. Why? Okay, when I first started noticing it, it was more in terms of people that I follow online and people around my age. So I was just like, okay, this is the funny internet thing we're all saying at the moment, where there is some sort of ironic distance. But then I was like, okay, clearly this didn't start here, so I need to need to find out. Gabby, as a journalist, wanted to get to
0: the bottom of it. Her first move was to dig up some of the earliest examples. It seemed like they'd started cropping up in boy band fan communities several years back.
2: Uh, so I started reaching out to those people, and finally one woman who is 21 now— responded, and she told me that it started out on Tumblr, which she had been active on since she was 13, which is, Mm -hmm. like, not an area of the internet I really go to at all. And she said that this was something she'd been noticing for, like, about eight, nine years now. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. But what was the rationale? Gabby asked her what the Tumblr teens had been thinking,
0: and the woman wrote back to explain.
2: What we're saying when we say we'd like our favorite celebrity to run us over is that we love and admire them so much that they could do something terrible and we'd still love them, which of course isn't literally true. <laughs> I think that this joke format is used by a lot of stands because it's a more creative way to say how much we love someone rather than just a wholesome, Timothy is amazing. That's Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> okay. who a lot of people want to run them over. And it eventually migrated from like teenage Stan Tumblr culture over to Twitter, where it then took, I think, several years to become more mainstream. So, for the teens who pioneered the form, it was just a fun way of expressing
0: super fandom. But once the grown-ups joined in, it took on a new quality. Combine the unhinged enthusiasm of Tumblr stands with the bleak outlook of adults in 2019, and you get the nihilistic horniness of run me over.
2: It evokes this really catastrophic level of desire, but, like, no sexual activity is taking place. Yeah, Like, Brandi Jensen, who is an editor, she tweeted... She wanted Natalie Dormer to hit her with a hammer. So I reached out for comment and she said, "Um, I think there's something about how the ideal resolution of a crush is to be completely obliterated by it and suffer no longer under the terrible demands of desire. Mm. Um, And then another writer, Gretchen Felker Martin, told me that everyone started feeling this way when we realized the scales had tipped, the world is doomed, and the best we can hope for is to look at someone beautiful who loves us when we die.
0: Earlier, I was telling Stella and Allison that being horny was a kind of resourcefulness. It lets you take an object as unpromising as Rick Rubin's beard and transform it into a source of fascination. It makes that very possibly objectively gross beard look electric with possibility. Embracing horniness means embracing that kind of cognitive dissonance. And that's never been more true than in 2019. We're living in a moment when every tweet about Adam Driver is sandwiched between two about climate apocalypse and political collapse. A moment when, in my own personal case, you find yourself asking your co-workers to take a break from writing about abortion rights and come into the studio to talk about what they want to put in their mouths. In the midst of everything else, there's something impressive about the way horniness goes on. In 2019, we're staring into the void and deciding we'll try to hump it. That's it for this week's show. We'll see you next Tuesday. The Cut on Tuesdays is produced by Sarah McVie and Olivia Knapp. Our senior producer is Kimmy Regler. We're edited by Stella Bugby and Lynn Levy. Mixing is by Emma Munger. Our music is by Emma Munger and Haley Shaw. Our theme song is Play It Right by Sylvan Esso. That's Amelia Meath, Nick Sanborn, Molly Sarlay, and Alexandra Souser-Monig. Special thanks to Angela Trimber, Amanda Arnold, Rachel Ward, and Phoebe Unterman. And... If you like the show, tell a friend to listen. The Cut on Tuesdays is a production of Gimlet Media and The Cut.